We're in our series, um, John and the Rabbi from Nazareth. And um, as I was thinking about this sermon, I, I started thinking about, you know, we're looking at all of this eyewitness testimony. So, so I wonder if you have ever said to God, God, if you would just do something miraculous, then I would believe. Anybody? Anybody? Three of you. Okay. The rest of you, just check out. I'll get you back in in a minute. But I wonder, so I'm not trying to put words in God's mouth, but I wonder if God ever says, like what? You want me to do something spectacular? Like what? And, and I wonder if God ever says, you know, like design a rock that's just hanging in the universe somewhere and it's custom designed for life. And it's so special that there's not another rock anywhere in all the universes like it, but it's designed for life. How about that? And you're like, nah. God's like, I already did that. But you're like, no, 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 no. That's not good enough. Um, do something spectacular, God. And God's, I think, I, I wonder if he's like, you know, what if I created a 576 megapixel camera? What if I gave you two of them and stuck them on the front of your face and attached them to a 3,000 gigahertz computer that has enough memory to learn some stuff and pass that on from generation to generation to generation? And God's like, oh, I already did that too. And you're like, no, do something really spectacular, God. Like, like heal someone of a disease. And I think God's like, well, I did that. When Jesus was here, Jesus raised three different people from the dead, not counting himself, that would be four. You know, and God's like, not only did that happen, but God's like, I created a species of self-healers. For the most part, your body heals itself. You ever wonder why you get a cut and magically over the next couple of weeks it disappears? Waylon would, used to say, he's, he's now learning, but he used to say, it disappeared. What happened to it? It disappeared. God said, I created a whole species of self-healers. And then I sent Jesus, who healed blind people. He made dead people come back to life. He healed a, a lame person who was lame for 38 years. Like, that's really not good enough, God. So we're in this series, and we're in part six of our series. And we're looking at John's eyewitness account of, of people um, who saw Jesus. And here's the interesting thing about John. 47 times in the book of John, just John, not 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that comes later. That's right before Revelation. Um, in just John, he mentions 47 times the word witness. 14 times it's a noun, meaning this person is a witness. And then 33 times, it's this is the witness's testimony. It's a verb. And he names names. He names six people besides himself, besides Jesus, who say Jesus is the son of God. How many witnesses do you need in a court of law to decide that something is true? So John wrote it all down. And he wrote it down not for your information. This isn't a history book. The last two verses of the, of the book of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he said, I wrote this stuff down so that future generations would believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that by believing you would have life in his name. He wants you to have eternal life. Now, way back in chapter one, if you read John, he says that the word Jesus was God. He was with God. He was God in the beginning. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then it says he came to his own people and his own people, Israel, rejected him. But then check this out. He says, Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here's the formula. This is on your listening guide. Believe plus receive equals become a child of God. 
Believe plus receive equals become a child of God. Remember that. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. All right, so let's just take very quickly, let's, let's review what we've done. Go ahead and put that picture up there, please, Krista. So we're looking at seven signs, seven miraculous things that happen that say Jesus is the son of God. Here's your sign, here's your sign. The first one was turning water into wine. He's in Cana. Now, if you remember, um, Israel's kind of this long nation. Um, it's not all that long, but it's long compared to wide. I think the widest point is like 17 miles wide in its widest area, something crazy like that. So Jesus is in Cana, which is up north, um, and it's kind of east of the, I mean, west of the, the Sea of Galilee. And so he turns water into wine. Then he goes down to Jerusalem gets into all kinds of trouble. So he's going north, south, north, south, north, south, goes to Jerusalem. He comes back to Cana. That's the second one here where he heals a nobleman's son from a distance of 20 miles. He says, go ahead, your son will live. And sure enough, his son lived at the exact moment Jesus said he would. And then um, this one, he goes back to Jerusalem and he heals a man who was lame for 38 years, laying right outside the sheep gate, right outside the temple mount. And then he says, pick up your mat and walk. It's an awesome story. And then this one, this was uh, uh, feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and just a few fish. And it was so spectacular that everybody said, let's make him king. And Jesus goes off to the mountain to pray, sends his disciples in the boat. You remember this was last week when Jesus comes walking on the water. They've only gone a few miles and Jesus comes walking on the water. Ah, it's a ghost, we're gonna die. And Jesus says, no, it's me. Peter says, this is you, tell me to come. You know, you remember all of that? Now here we are today, he's gonna heal a blind man. And I just have to point this out. Does that not look like the bad guy on Scooby-Doo, right? It's supposed to be Lazarus, but I, I guess they just couldn't do it. I, I, to me, it's like, you, we would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you silly kids. Anyway, I'm showing my age. So today, today we're back in Jerusalem, and watch what happens. This is in John uh, chapter 9. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Blind from what? Remember that detail, because we're going to come back to it in a second. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the assumption in the first century is if something bad happens to you, if you're suffering, you did something wrong. It's because of your sin. Um, and, and they thought, well, this guy's getting what, is, what he deserved, but, but it's easier to talk about someone's sin than it is talking about meeting his needs. So, Jesus, we're just kind of curious. There's two options. Either he sinned or his parents sinned that he's suffering, right? They, they, they reduce his suffering to some academic discussion. My question is, how could this man, when, when was he blind? He was blind. He was born blind. How did he sin in his mama's womb? I don't know, except the Jews believed that if this pregnant mama did some type of sin, for example, if she went to a pagan temple and worshiped an idol, that then the, the baby was guilty of worshiping the idol as well. And when he was born, he would suffer because of mama's sin. Let me just say the Jews were dead wrong on this issue. I'm guilty of sin because I sinned, not because Bess Washburn sinned. Are you with me? Now, I want us to admit today that much of our suffering is because of our own stupid, sinful choices. Can anyone testify to that? More than three people, please. Okay, thank you. My choice not to turn off the breaker is the sole reason I went flying through the air. It was this light up here at the front corner. I was working on it. I got bit by electricity. And in my, let me just tell you, in my mind, this is what I saw, right? So if you, I don't know if you ever dissected a frog and, and you know, if the frog's dead and you're, you're dissecting, you know, sometimes, well, we opened it up and the heart was beating, but anyway, it died shortly after that. And then they said, watch what happens if you put electricity to it. What happens to the muscles of the frog? 
In my mind, that is exactly what happened to me when I was on this 11-foot ladder out here. I went, because I'm telling you, I flew through the air, and I'm seeing Jesus, and I'm going, man, I'm stupid. And I think it's because I've been bitten so many times before by electricity that I was anticipating it. I'm on a metal ladder, right, and I'm on a metal building. So when it got me, I'm, ah! I couldn't blame anybody else. I could blame Jeff Gillis, but he wasn't here. (laughs) And Jeff Gillis has told me, don't you ever work on electricity without turning off the breaker. So I can't. my choices caused me to fly like a frog off a ladder. Most of my choices, most of your choices, most of your suffering happens because of your choices. Some of our suffering happens because of the choices of others. And we're really not very good at discerning. We're really good at saying, my suffering can't be because of me. It's got to be because of somebody else. And so Jesus, long before any, any humans were made, God and Jesus had already had, had the plan for him coming to earth because he had to correct a lot of really screwed up thinking. And in this situation, they're like, who, who sinned, him or his mama? There's two choices. And Jesus goes, oh, man, your, your thinking's all messed up. There's a third choice, and I'm about to show you that third choice. Jesus says, neither. Neither this man or his parents sinned. There's another category you haven't even considered yet, and here it is. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened. This man being born blind, it happened so that the works of God, not just a single work, multiple works of God might be displayed in him. So what's Jesus saying? Here it is, very simply. Pain can have a purpose. Now, I put can have because the, the choice depends on you. Not everybody that suffers ever learns anything from it. You have to make choices to turn your pain and suffering over to God. And then God says, I'll walk you through it. I'll redeem your pain. And not only will I do that, I'll show my power and glory in your life. I will also attract other people to Jesus Christ because of your dealing with your suffering. It can have a purpose. Jesus' pain and suffering that we're going to look at in just a couple of weeks where where he was tortured beyond recognition, died for our sins, had had a purpose that was to save us from our sins. Maybe your pain and suffering has a purpose as well. I know that mine has. And, and the, the problem we have is we don't always get the so that to our pain and suffering, right? We don't always get it in this life. But in this instance, Jesus leaves no doubt about the so that of this man's pain and suffering. It's so that the works, multiple works of God might be displayed in him. And we have to just admit that many times, most of the time, if you'll let him, God chooses to display his power on the stage of our pain and suffering. It's not on my successes. It's through my pain and suffering that God shows his power. But he will not display his power. I'm going to say this a couple of times because I think some of you already checked out. He will not display his pain, his power without your permission. He doesn't operate on people who do not turn their pain and suffering over to him. He says, you're on your own. But he can help you. Remember a couple weeks ago when, when he healed the, the man who was lame for 38 years? First question he asked, do you want to get well? And I'm, I'm just telling you, the majority of people that I talk to don't want to get well. They don't want to do what's required to get well. Oh, I want to be free from drugs. Not if you're not going to celebrate recovery. Well, celebrate recovery on Monday nights and it's just inconvenient. Then you're going to stay stuck in your sins. Oh, I can't get over the divorce. I can't get over this person dying. I can't get over, I can't get over. No, you won't get over because you don't want to get well. It's easier to stay in your suffering and your misery and, and to try to get something from other people than it is to walk through the painful valley of the shadow of death with Jesus Christ who can turn your pain and suffering into something for his glory. 
I just am curious, how many of you have ever seen someone suffer and their suffering and their pain was extraordinary, but their response to their pain and their suffering was so extraordinary that it caused your faith to grow? Anyone? Those are shake my head moments. I've seen it repeatedly over 37 years I've been in ministry. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. So here's, here's how Jesus responds in verse 4. I'm sorry, this makes me laugh. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And I think his disciples went, wait, what? We were talking about a blind guy. And your night day, Jesus, this is what you always do. We're talking about one thing. You just go off over here on another tangent. Except he didn't. He's saying, look, guys, who I truly am will never be more evident than it is right now. While I'm walking the planet, that's, that's when it's going to be most evident. It'll never be brighter. My light will never be brighter than right now while I'm on the planet. So pay attention and write some stuff down so that future generations can believe I'm the son of God and that by believing, they may have life in my name. And I think Jesus is teaching us this. Physical blindness is temporary. Spiritual blindness is permanent unless you meet the Savior. So Jesus says, so that you will know that I'm the son of God. I'm about to work one of the works of God in this man's life. So here's the first work of God. Physical healing. This makes me laugh too. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Did he ask first? May I have permission to spit on some mud and apply it to your eyes? Did he look at Peter and the sons of thunder and say, hold him down, we're going to apply this mud whether he wants it or not? I don't know. I just know this, this is weird. Spit. Ooh. After he applies the, the, the spit mud pies to the man's eyes, he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, the pool of Siloam, so the Temple Mount is up here, and the city of David is actually down here. So you go downhill to the city of David, and, and the pool of Siloam was one of the main water sources at the, at the city of David. So we don't know how far it was, but Jesus said, you got mud on your eyes, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and my question is, why did this guy do what Jesus said? You just spit and made mud pies, you stuck it on my eyes, now you're telling me to walk downhill and jump in a pool. See, I can just imagine if y'all come to me and say, hey, I need some healing, I make some mud pies, I stick it on your eyes, go wash in the pool at New Life Community Church, the pond of NLCC. You're gonna say, wash yourself in that pond, sucker. Why did he obey? I think it was because of the rumors. He'd heard stories Everybody in Israel, all the surrounding nations had heard about this Jesus. If Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. It doesn't matter how outrageous you do it because something miraculous will happen if you obey Jesus. He'd heard testimony. He'd never seen Jesus, but he heard his voices and he heard the stories and he obeyed. Was the power in the mud? Was the power in the spit? Well, maybe because it's Jesus spit, but I don't think that's the point. Was the power in the pool of, the, of Siloam? No. The power is in the one who spoke the words. Now, why did he spit? I don't know, but I have a theory. Because there were rules against spitting. Not God's rules, but the religious rules. And he loved making fun of the religious rules. So Jesus spits on, 
Well, I'm just about to give it away. He spits, and then the guy has to either, either someone's got to lead him to the pool. He doesn't know where the pool is. He's blind. Or he just stumbles down there. Can you imagine people say, um, do you know there's mud on your eyes? I'm quite aware. Where are you going? The pool of Siloam. Why? Never mind. And then can you imagine, can you imagine the scene when the blind man with mud on his eyes walks into the pool of Siloam, which may have been a ritual bath? I mean, this is going to cause a commotion. Not only does he not deserve to be, he's a blind guy. There's mud. He's getting mud in the pool. He washes it out. And for the first time in his life, he sees. Nobody cared about the mud anymore. They start asking, how can you see? So look, here's the commotion. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, because that's all you could do as a blind man, ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Now check this out. Some said, yep, that's him. Others go, no, 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 he's a lookalike. We just brought somebody in, and he's going, yo, I'm right here. I'm the guy. Well, then how can you see? He told them. And you know they're going, he's spitting the mud. I mean, that's what you got out of the story? I can see. He's spitting. Ooh. You let him do what? They didn't believe him. In fact, they said, okay, then where is this spit in the mud, mud pie making healer? And he's going, I don't know. And they're like, why don't you know? And he's because he's like, because I didn't see where he went, Sherlock. So these concerned friends say, look, we need to get to the bottom of this. So they take him to the religious leaders because that makes sense. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the dun, 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 the what? Oh, oops, I did it again. I, that's the only part of that song I know. So I don't know if I even did that right. But Jesus was always always confronting them, and it was confronting them over their religion, their traditions that got him killed. Because the disciples, every time he'd say, let's go to Jerusalem, somebody's going, uh, should we not go there? Let's hang out in Galilee, because they like us in Galilee. And Jerusalem, they're trying to kill us. He did it on the Sabbath day. So, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the dun-dun-dun, the Sabbath. Did Jesus ever violate one of the laws of the Old Testament? Did he ever disobey his Father in heaven? So what he violated was the traditions. These were called the oral traditions of men. He violated those regularly because tradition is the dead faith of the living, right? Traditionalism is dead faith of the living. And, and uh, you need to understand that nobody's ever seen this before. Nobody's seen anybody walk on water, you know, in a storm for three miles. That was last week's miracle. This miracle, nobody had ever seen a man who was born blind be healed from his blindness. Now, here's one of the things. So you couldn't spit. He's probably too close to the temple, so don't you spit out here. And then the tradition said you couldn't mix anything. So he spit and he mixed mud, and then he took the mud and he put it on the guy. And so that was practicing medicine. 
that was working healing. And there was a tradition that said you could not work healing on the Sabbath day unless to save a life. And so they're looking at the blind guy. You've been blind a long time. You weren't dying. If he was from God, he would have come on another day, not the Sabbath day. And here's the real problem. Jesus didn't fit in their God box. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but everyone has a God box. Go ahead and put that up there, Krista. Fully devoted believers in Christ have a God box. Atheists also have a God box. Now, it may be smaller, but what they say is, God could not be like that. God would never heal a blind man on the Sabbath. God would never heal a lame man right in the shadow of the temple. God wouldn't spit on the ground and make mud pies. Everybody has a God box. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to get your ideas of God from the Bible and not from anybody else. Because see, these guys had the Old Testament memorized. The religious leaders had it memorized, had been studying it since they were a child. And they missed that Jesus did everything that the Old Testament said a Messiah would do. He will raise people from the dead. He will heal the blind. He will cure diseases. He will set the captives free. They knew it. They missed it because they refused to believe. And if you don't get your ideas of God, see, you don't get to make up who God is. I've had people say, I think God is like, and I'm going, where did you get that idea? You're smoking something because nobody has ever had that idea about God. Here's what the scripture says. God reveals himself to us through the scripture. You don't get to make up what he looks like. So some of them said, no, he can't be from God, but look at this. But others ask, how can a sinner perform such what? Signs. He's doing things we've never seen before. So they were divided. One of my favorite um, scenes in Bruce Almighty is when he's driving along and he's going, give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. And you know, this is it, this is... All of these signs are in the back of a truck. Don't go this way. Stop. You know, and he's like, give me a sign. And, I'm, and everybody's going, it's right there. The signs that Jesus is the son of God everywhere in the scripture and people ignore it. So look at what happens. Verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. So the guy kind of struggles and he goes, um, I think he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he, had, he would, had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Okay, we don't believe you, so we're going to bring in some more people to testify. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? Because they didn't believe it. How is it that he can now see? So his parents answered two of the three questions. We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see, we got no clue. Why don't you ask him? He's old enough to answer for himself. Now look what happens. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now I want you to see what's highlighted here. Who had already decided, and here's the big problem, they'd already decided that Jesus didn't fit their God box. They'd already decided, not only did they not believe in Jesus, they'd already decided that that. Look, look what it says, that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. There's no, this is what they were saying. There's no room for a God like Jesus in our church. A second time they summoned the man, so they didn't get the answers they wanted from the parents. Second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind. Give glory to God, they said, and tell the truth. Now, 
if this is a trial, now the, the, the judge and the prosecuting attorney are trying to taint the witness. Because look what it says. We know this man is a sinner. Instead of just asking for evidence, they'd already made up their mind. They'd already decided Jesus couldn't be God. We know this man is a sinner. He re- and he replied, I love this. This guy's awesome. No theological training. Hadn't been in the temple because he was unclean, because he was blind. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Look what he says. One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. He just gave his testimony. He didn't try to be a lawyer and plead Jesus' cause. He just said, I was like this. I was blind. Now I see. He must be a prophet. He must be from God. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) So he said, I was blind, but now I see. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? And he's like, come on, guys. How did he open your eyes? He said, I've told you already. You didn't listen. Love this. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they were so spiritual, they said. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. This guy's getting bolder and bolder. He couldn't see. Now he can see. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Isn't it obvious where he came from? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born what? Born blind. It's never happened in the history of the world. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So they couldn't win the argument, so they attacked the man, chunked him out of the church. And I'd be saying, see ya. Thanks for kicking me out of this church because I don't want to be a part of a church like that where they don't have room for Jesus. There was no room in their theology for what was happening right before their eyes. So really, in this story, who were the blind people in the long run? The religious leaders. The blind people were the ones who'd already decided, they'd already made up their minds without even considering the evidence. The guy formerly known as blind said, you know, I'm not gonna argue theology with you. I was blind, now I see, see ya. I think we could sum up his, his statement like this. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. Because you don't operate with having to understand everything in any other area of your life. How many of you understand love? But you believe in it against all odds, right? How many of you believe in electricity? How many of you can explain it? I can explain what it does to you if you don't turn off the breaker. How many of you believe in energy? How many of you believe in consciousness? Explain that one to me. You believe in it, but you can't explain it. My life before Jesus was destined for hell. My life after Jesus means even my pain and suffering has purpose. That's something. That's something worth giving my life to. Second work of God, spiritual healing. So there's physical healing, but there's spiritual healing. I love Jesus because he, he, he always seeks people out. Look what this says. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking to you. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. 
In other words, he saw, he believed, he received, he was adopted as God's son. And I want you to think about this. Jesus healed this guy before the guy even knew who Jesus was. Because remember they asked him, and he said, well, the man named Jesus, where'd he go? I don't know where he went. He didn't believe in Jesus. He'd heard about Jesus. Jesus healed him first so that he could have this encounter with him. And I want to ask you a question. Which was the greater miracle? Healing his physical eyes or healing his soul? Because here we are 2,000 years later. Do his eyes still work? His eyes are dirt. The physical healing was a temporary miracle. The spiritual healing was forever. So I'm asking you again, which was the greater miracle, healing his eyes or healing his soul? The greater miracle is he believed in Jesus, received the free gift of eternal life, and became a child of God. That was an eternal miracle. So there's physical, one of the works of God, physical healing. One of the works of God is spiritual healing. Here's the third work of God. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world. I want you to say judgment. I want everybody to say judgment. For judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So the contrast is between this guy who knew he was blind, he wouldn't have argued the point, and the religious leaders who didn't know they were blind. And they would argue the point. And see, here's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Admitting spiritual blindness is required. It's required if you're ever going to see, if you ever want Jesus to heal you. See, the Pharisees, if you'd ask them, they said, oh, we're fine. Yeah, yeah, we make some mistakes. We're not perfect. We make a few mistakes, but can I tell you that hell is full of, of mistakers? Jesus didn't come for mistakers. Jesus came to save sinners who repent. We're not perfect, but who is? So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and you need to understand the self-righteous hate the light. So there's going to be people in your life. I'm I'm in the book of John in my uh, Bible study, and I've just been reading through a whole lot of stuff, and when I see something, I go and read it. And and, and Jesus said, there's going to be division. They're going to be divided. Some people are going to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Some people are not going to believe. And Jesus said, Father will be against son, mother against daughter. If there's a family of five, he says, two of them are going to be against three, and three are going to be against two, because when he comes, you got to make a choice. Self-righteous hate the light because it exposes their deeds. What we, le- what, we, what we learn in reading the Bible is that not everybody who encountered Jesus walked away better. Many people walked away worse off because now, not only were they blind, Jesus had declared them blind, they had rejected the Son of God, and they were destined for hell. Because remember, our our formula is believe in Jesus as the Son of God, receive Jesus as the Son of God, and become a child of God. Because if you refuse to believe, if you refuse to receive, then you will continue to be a son of Satan or a daughter of Satan. Oh, that's harsh. Jesus said you got two options. You're either following God or you're following the leader of this world. If that makes you feel better about yourself, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a leader, I'm following the leader of this world. No, there's two options. God the Father, the enemy is the Satan. You're either God's child or he said you're a child of your father, the devil. Two options, that's it. And the way to get into God's family is to believe Jesus is the son of God. Believe the evidence. Many of you have never even considered the evidence. To me, that's incredibly foolish, and please, 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 if I'm ever on trial, don't get on the jury because if you're not going to look at evidence, I don't want you on my jury trial. 
There's so much evidence. At least look at it. Refuse, stay lost, stay a child of Satan. So when you think about your God box, because everybody has one, I got two questions to ask you. Number one, is it possible that God is bigger than you thought he was? Is that possible? (laughs) It's probable. Here's the second question. Is it possible that God is much bigger than you were taught he was? When they were building the temple, God said, I cannot be contained in temples made by human hands. So much bigger than that. And you're so messed up that I've got to send my son to live a perfect life to heal your soul or none of you are ever getting into heaven. Heaven would be such a lonely place. If Jesus hadn't become God with us, like the song we sang, one one of my favorite songs of all time, God with us, that's what his name means. Emmanuel means God with us. He dwelt among us. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And to all who received, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. My ring symbolizes that on May 25th, 1991, I stood before my brother who was the pastor before God and looked at Janie and I said, I do. So if you were to ask me, are you married? Kinda, no. That's a yes or no question. Are you married? Now, I could wear a ring and not, so I've got the, I got the marriage license and I've got, I've got old VHS video somewhere. Uh, there were witnesses. I'm not kind of married. I'm married. You're not kind of in the kingdom of God. You are or you're not. You're a child of God. You're a child of Satan. And maybe today is the time you move from one to the other. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that there's evidence for someone who will just open their eyes and consider it. God, maybe today is the day that someone has a spiritual birthday. Or maybe today's the day that they'll say, I'm going to consider the evidence for the first time in my life. God, for our inheritance, New Life Communities Church's inheritance, would you give us the lost so that we might proclaim the truth of the gospel to them so that they might believe and receive and become adopted and then we might can grow up Help them mature in Christ so that they go all over this rock that was specially designed for us. And they shine your light in a dark world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.